Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 70, Energetic Herbalism with Kat Meyer. In this episode, we speak with Kat Meyer, who is an herbalist, educator, and author in Virginia about energetics. She has a new book called Energetic Herbalism. It's really good. And we talk all about what energetics are, hot and dry, cold and wet, about doshas and how addicting it is to label everybody either vata or pitta or kapha or kapha pitta or kapha vata, you know how it goes. Anyway, we also talk about why this is important and how it helps herbalists and healers actually be able to understand what's actually going on in the body and the mind. Because if you're hot and you take an herb that's hot, you might just overheat a little bit and dry things out. We get into the nitty gritty with Kat and we talk about all of this, about vital energy and about all these interesting aspects of energetic herbalism. So I hope you enjoy the episode, and as usual, if you want to support the podcast and get access to exclusive content, go to patreon.com slash plantcunning. Okay, welcome, Kat, to the Plant Cunning Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, so you're an herbalist and an author and an educator, and you've written this new book, Energetic Herbalism, which we absolutely adore. Isaac and I have been fighting over reading it (laughs) since we got it and taking lots of notes. (laughs) Um, So we do have a traditional first question on the podcast, and it is, how did you come to the plant path? Mm, Yeah, thank you. So I think it began... I guess around when I was six and I just always had a, an attraction, a deep, deep attraction to the sacred realm. And so I was raised a Catholic though. So the only um, archetype uh, that was presented was Jesus. And it was just so interesting having this, you know, I didn't grow up with grannies that harvested plants or, you know, we were never, ever sick. We didn't even go to doctors. Um, so we really, I, we really didn't have a, a tradition in our family. Um, so it was the sacred that was so attracting to me. And um, so I'm trying to figure out, uh, you know, well, how, where do I go with this? And when I was 12, I saw a movie on the Peace Corps. And I thought, oh, that's it. You know, that really brought together the service, the sacred, And so I went to college and kind of by default, I double majored in chemistry and business. That's kind of a hard program to default into, but um, that's where I went. And but because always knowing that doesn't matter what I major in, I'm going to the Peace Corps. And so I really hadn't had plant medicine up until that point. So I was in Chile. Uh, They call it the Country Club of the Peace Corps because it's just so verdant and very amazing and rich. Mm. And the wine is delicious. And Mm. so it was really there after the women, you know, really brought me into their circle. I worked in health and uh, nutrition. 
we did a lot of rural work, rural clinic work. And, you know, that was the first time that I, I really engaged with plant medicine, uh, not only as nourishment, um, but the teas that they would give. And it was primarily teas and poultices that they would use. They didn't really have other forms. Um, so maybe we can get into talking about your book, Energetic Herbals. I'd love to. Okay, sweet. So um, as we mentioned, this is just such an awesome book. I feel like you've really covered all the bases in this. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but like you talk, um, you start with your own experience, which I think is actually rare for an herbal to like, just, you shared about your experience with black cohosh and like, you know, where you're coming from, which I think is really cool. And then you get into the basics of, um, energetics, like using the senses, which is a great place to start. I think using, right. you know, smell, taste and all of that. You talk about teas and tinctures and basic formulation, and then you get into herbs and like, you have a whole list of really awesome herbs. So hmm. I would definitely recommend this book, not only for like a beginner herbalist, who's just getting started, but also for a clinical herbalist with years of experience. I think this really just gives us a whole picture of where we're at in, you know, energetic herbalism. So thank you for yeah, Thank you so much. Thank you. That's a, that's a wonderful encapsulation. Um, and it was different starting with my story and why it was important to me is we are in this, um, this epic of really coming to awareness of abuses, of oppression, of all different forms. And, and it's really up in, in our community. And I think the decolonization of herbalism is first and foremost. And so here I am a white woman writing about Ayurveda, Chinese medicine. And so I really wanted to share my story of indigeneity you know, how, how did I come to feel like I was able to take these traditions, of course, not making them my own, but presenting them as, you know, really profound tools. The, the book is actually uh, my three-year curriculum, and it was going to be a lot more clinical, more academic. And then when we started, my editor and I thought, wow, you know, this is a kind of a DIY manual. This is what I really, you know, was hoping for in the beginning that, you know, it's accessible to as, exactly as you said, for those very new, and then those clinicians to revisit. And I have to say, I'm so incredibly blown away by how many people are emailing me and saying they are reading it cover to cover. I don't know if I ever would, because it's really like a textbook. And so it's taking um, the TCM and tissue states um, and also having run a clinical program for over 20 years, I've had so many different curriculums and I've tried to go all Western and, you know, way back when we started out with allopathic herbalism, you know, David Hoffman's phenomenal medical herbalism. God, he's another early teacher. That book is a classic for beginners, but primarily clinicians. So he's going from the Western tradition, but if you go back to his formulas, they're all energetic. It's all tissue state. So you come to see that, you know, a good formula has the energetics in them. And so 
with um, the different traditions, for me, over 30 years, really, these are the tools that are now in my medicine bag. You know, we, we've got our mojo bags on and what do we got and what are the stones? And um, these are incredible tools that I find. Why reinvent, you know, the Ayurvedic doshas? Because it's our elements. Mm. When we understand our nature, you know, for me, the only conversation we really should be having these days is climate change. And so how do we, how do we activate, you know, we all know, and some know more than others, and we still want to have a healthy heart and a joyful day. But for me, I feel like if we understand our nature and we understand our water and our fire, and we go out and we see the waters and we see that earth and it becomes so intimate. You know, we can say our body is her body. And, but yet I, I love how the elements, you know, I really wanted to bring forward in the book, make that actualized for people to really have that contemplation become their formula. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very important. So you brought up the doshas and we wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, what maybe you can explain to listeners who aren't familiar. If I'm sure some okay. of them are, but what are the doshas and the subdoshas? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. So in Ayurveda, Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word means science of life. And it is the um, Indian, uh, the continent Indian, but Ayurveda is Nepal. I mean, before boundaries, You know, Ayurveda really was Mongolia. You know, you have this fabulous historical ancestry of Unani Tib and Nepalese, but Ayurveda is primarily um, the medicine from India coming out of the Vedic scriptures. um, And it's lifetimes of study. You know, the, the fact that I put Ayurveda in a chapter, believe me, that took a lot of, <laughs> I didn't go to therapy sessions, but there was a lot of deconstruction that happened in writing this book because here's a 5,000 year art and in, a, in a chapter, but essentially the doshas are constitutions mm-hmm. and uh, Western physiology has constitutions. Um, ectoderm, mesoderm, endoderm, but I really, really didn't like them. And actually the fellow, William Sheldon, who started that series, he had a really shady past as far as how he came to them and that isn't brought out. And I didn't want to bring it out in the book because it gets distracting, but the Ayurvedic doshas are essentially constitutions. And it's, um, you know, who who we are. And it's, there's something called prakruti, which is the dosha and dosha actually means fault. And so at the moment of conception, it's just like our kidney, our genetics, our DNA, um, we are created. And for the most part, everyone has one dosha. Each dosha has two elements. So for example, I'm fire. So fire is water and uh, I'm I'm sorry, I'm pitta. So that's fire and water or oil. And then, you know, I'll have vata, other doshas, but these are combinations of elements that make us uh, in some ways who we are. 
So a pitta has great attributes of leader, teacher, active, fiery, kind of in the middle between the other two. Mm -hmm. And then the fault or the challenges is I run hot, I run angry, I run jealous. And so for me, understanding these doshas is so incredibly compassionate because, you know, I know my tendencies. So that's what the doshas are teaching. They're the tendencies. It's not a fate. So a lot of times kapha dosha, which is the larger frame, it's earth and water. And so many times it's like overweight or lazy, but kapha, man, you want a kapha on your island because kaphas are loyal. Kaphas are incredibly centered. Buddha was a kapha. Uh-huh. You know, and so understanding the elements this way, it's like, oh, my fire needs a little more kapha, needs a little more water. Mm-hmm. How do I cool that? So I don't have dis- diseases of inflammation. Mm-hmm. So that's a very brief um, kind of introduction to the doshas. And you all are familiar if you want to add something. But well, again, understanding what? our nature. Yeah. Um, right. And then the last one's vata, which is the air element. Right. And I think that's so interesting. I'm presenting at a conference on a panel, mental health through COVID. And for me, vata is the thinner frame. Um, It's air and ether are the two elements. And they're thin and it's sometimes called thin skinned, but it's their nervous system. And what's interesting is embryologically, as we were developing, um, this is when the constitutions really kind of come online. And so the organ systems for vata are the nervous system. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, others with the nervous system in the skin. And so these are the sensitives. These are creatives. These are thinkers. And also they're anxious, insomnia, lots of mental Mm-hmm. And yeah. different kinds of, pardon me? Yeah, a lot, a lot going, going on. on, a lot of uh, stimulus. A lot going on, lots of air, wind, a lot of ether, you know, ether, well, what's there to grab on? You know, all the elements are born from ether. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet there's, you know, an, an indescribable quality to that. And so for me, I think this time, COVID time has been a vata time. And so in recommending things, you know, because a lot's going on, right? And change, vata means that which moves. Ah. And there is not a day that we haven't woken up and thought, what's moving? Where's Omicron? Where's Delta? Where's, you know, all of the intellectual, you know, we've been so bound to the to listening to news and facts and dialogues and discussions, if you want to call them that. And so how do we get into our bodies? And what I think, what gives me hope is look at how, you know, everyone, I I work a lot with unhoused. I worked a lot with um, enrichment. So it's not just privilege are getting out, but everybody, all different socioeconomic folks, they got out. We kind of had to, we couldn't be inside, but the national parks were jam-packed. Everyone was gardening. There was this beautiful organic response to that vata 
pandemic because it kept moving so quickly that we got grounded. We were yeah. earthing. Um, and we went into Richmond's our urban city. So we went in and really worked on how do we help bring this into different communities? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think that's really, it's really important. I'm, I mean, even staying home is kind of coffee. And then, mm. then yeah, yeah, well, welcome to the COVID kafa. <laughs> right. yeah, so we have these three constitutions, the, the Vata, which is very airy and ether. We have Pitta, which is very fiery. And then the kafa, which is more earth and water. And then you have like sub sub ones too. And it's, it's really fun to like, try to like classify everybody that, you know, as one of these, like, oh, we're both, we're both Pitta kafa, you know, uh-huh. and uh-huh. like all of our siblings so that's Pitta. oh he's a little more just pitta oh, the artist friend that's he's definitely full vada, full vada. Full vada. <laughs> yeah. Full vada. yeah gotta love them <laughs> <laughs> gotta love them they're the ones that do the night driving oh yeah, yeah. oh my gosh totally yeah <laughs> <laughs> right i mean this is community building this is how you figure out who's skilled and who you know will really love that task so, you know, there are seven, you know, there's Vada, Pitta, Kapha, and then Vada, Pitta, Pitta, Kapha, and all, you know, variations on the theme. And then ideally, and very rarely, is the Vada, Pitta, Kapha, where it's tridoshic. Uh-huh. And so, you know, that's a, a goal where you want to have air, you want to have fire, you want to have earth, you want all of these elements relating to each other, tempering each other. You know, it's that whole guy in um, hologram, if you dynamic will. equilibrium. Yeah. If, if, yeah. Such, if such a thing yeah. exists. <laughs> Right. So right. from or from a health practitioner's perspective, how is treating the particular constitution of the person um, more helpful than treating the symptoms of whatever right. they perhaps so, have work with the doshas in that way? Great question, because the prakruti is the dosha. And then there's something called the vikruti. And the Vikruti is um, the everyday symptoms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have clinic students who, you know, they, they meet somebody with a sore throat and they want to go down to the root problem. I'm like, let's deal with a sore throat. You know, <laughs> let's make them comfortable. You know, there's this whole notion that we have to get down into the belly, you know, of, of the core root. Um, and you want to approach that um, in a gentler way. So the Vikruti really is that symptom, that presenting complaint. And so for Vikruti, um, I love working with tissue states. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's our Western energetic model. And the interesting thing is, you know, say I'm, I'm Pitta and um, I'm kind of fiery. But say, so you wouldn't be giving me cayenne and ginger, even ashwagandha. You know, I absolutely adore ashwagandha. I grow it. It's so incredibly easy to grow. Um, But it's just too warming for me. Uh Um, So, but say I came up with something where I I would, so cooling remedies are best for me. Uh But if I have a symptom where I need to move something, I need to get something through, Ginger's fine, prickly ash is fine for a short amount of time. Right. So the thing is, you don't want to get dogmatic. 
you know, my mantra in the clinic is treat what you see. Mm-hmm. So even if somebody's presenting kapha um, and they might be cold and stagnant, um, and we might give them warming stimulants, pungent herbs, moving herbs. Um, if they have a red hot inf- infection, we want to give clear heat. We want to give echinacea. We want to give self-heal. We want to give plantain. So you treat what you see. And then when you're looking at longer term treatments, then you kind of return back and say, okay, how can we keep this constitution balanced? If that makes sense. Um, And so the other thing is, you know, I'm all about hierarchy in medicine, you know, as a physician assistant, we wrote prescriptions and used all kinds of long names of diagnoses and it creates a hierarchy and that immediately displaces the sacred healing environment. And so I'm all about using language that my clients are going to understand or my community in teaching. So, you know, if that's why I love the tissue states because yeah. they were born of Greek tradition, but instead of saying, oh, you have stagnant ch- spleen chi, meaning indigestion, you know, my clients really hear, oh, it's stagnation, oh, a little, little bloating, little congestion, you know, helping them. Yeah, I guess so. It is stagnant. Oh, okay. That's why you're giving me this ginger or whatever, because you, you know, ultimately you want to give them um, their health and what, what can they reach for in their kitchen? Um, So that's why I love the tissue states um, because they're Western and they're more of our language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they really make a lot of intuitive sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and it's something that like we have, these are kind of like abstract maps for, or lenses for viewing things, but it's also very practical and experiential. Like you can mm-hmm. feel hot and cold and damp and dry and you can feel tense and relaxed, you know, you know, and it's like very direct. <laughs> exactly. It's experienced. It's really experienced. But the interesting thing is when you get in the clinic, so many people have like four tissue states. Yes, (laughs) it's a lot more complicated. But it's yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And also, you're exactly right. People people can feel it. They feel it in themselves and, and they're going through different stages. You know, what I love about Ayurveda, kind of going back to that tradition, there's stages of life. So infancy to like, you know, pre-puberty is kapha. It's earth, it's water, it's building. Kapha means that which builds. So early time of life is we're building, we're building brain, we're building nerves. And then um, puberty up until around 40, 50 is pitta, you know, that which transforms we're taking our experiences, we're transforming them, we're becoming, we're a long time of becoming, and then elderhood is vata, and that's creative, and it's air, and it's ether, and we're getting thinner, you know, we're, we're moving into the ethers, and we're creative, so lots of andropause and menopause symptoms are really vata, right, Uh Mm. insomnia, anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, the heat flashes, or dryness, you know, and vata tends to be dry. So I I just love, instead of chasing the estrogen and the black ohash, you know, let's look at the terrain. 
And so oh. that's what a lot of the energetic herbalism is doing is it's teaching us our inner terrain. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And we, we just uh, had a conversation with Phyllis Light and she talked about energetics as uh, qualities. And that's another direct way of thinking about it in terms of just like the qualities of what's going on inside and the qualities of what you're putting into your body <laughs> to help, you know, regular. exactly, exactly. And that's why, um, you know, I, I listened to her and you all, cause she's a huge, I'm a huge fan and dear friend. Um, and she's been up to our school many, many times teaching mm -hmm. and why I love one thing that she said is just how she works with fewer plants or that was her tradition. Yeah. And, you know, that's why choosing 25 plants for the book was uh, pretty excruciating. I mean, Tulsi's not even in there and Rose and, oh, right. you know, it's like, oh, like, how do you choose 25? I mean, I, if, if I ever write another book, it's going to be the next 25. <laughs> but I think that's really amazing that you did get, get 25 plants in there that can all be used, mm -hmm. you know, in so many different ways and or so, such powerful ways. And I was a little bit surprised with some of the plants. Um, but yeah, I, I, they, all, they all make a lot of sense. So, so how, how did you decide what plants to uh, put in, in your Materia Medica part? So well, I was just working with somebody yesterday and um, they came to me uh, because of the book. And um, she said, after I've been reading the book, I had a dream about prickly ash. And she was this perfect kapha retreating, you know, it was just a, a lovely application of prickly ash to warm and move. And so I really, every day I sat with the plants and I don't want to say this is a channel book at all because it's not. Um, and these are the ones, like I kept wanting to put reishi in. Like, how can you not have reishi? We harvest reishi. Um, and it just didn't make it. I mean, prickly ash, that's on, uh, really only on the Eastern seaboard. It, it's really only here. One of my considerations is, okay, what are plants that are going to be in the Pacific Northwest, into Canada, are going to be in Arizona? You know, if this is the DIY one book, you know, if you had one book that would take you many, many miles down the road, what are those plants? And so um, it was the plants for whatever reason. And I, and I can't really say, you know, there's no black cohosh. And I intentionally looked at the United Plant Savers endangered plant list and, you know, many, many conversations about that. And yes, there is conservation through use. Um, and also at this time where tons and tons and tons of black cohosh is being carted out on the black market, you know, I grow it, I'll use drop doses of it, but it's really hard to go extol the virtues of a plant and then say, well, you can't use it though. Right. Um, and yucca. You know, yucca is, I'm sorry, yucca is great. And that's um, a lot, but kudzu. Kudzu, right. Yeah. Kudzu is an amazing analog for cohosh. And, oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, steroidal, right? That That's Dr. Des signatures. And yeah. for your listeners who aren't familiar with kudzu, it's 
they, they call it the plant that's taking over the South. Um, but there's this fabulous group of permaculturists in Asheville, outside of Asheville, that have, um, they only sell kudzu. They use it for uh, fodder, for um, uh, cattle feed. And it was really on the top list during COVID and they ran out of kudzu. Wow. So this is a, you know, a heroic plant. Um, that really is dramatically invasive. And the root, it's really hard to harvest, but um, it's used as a, a food. In, it's, it's one of the 50 fundamental herbs in the Chinese apothecary. It's right. deeply, deeply revered. So as climate's coming, as our plants are changing, you know, we're really looking at these analogs, whether it's Japanese knotweed. And yes. you know, I'm not someone that thinks, oh, all these invasives are, are here for us. You know, I'm not that naive. And I don't think it's all good. I think it all is. And so it's really up to us to go forward intelligently and heartfully and saying, well, here this is, how do we work with it? And then how do we keep it away from, you know, these parts that there's incredible native plants. Yes. So it's a dance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you did put, um, you put plants like, uh, you know, chickweed, burdock, those are all really great. We you put ashwagandha in here, but you um, also put in golden seal, which is one of those like a little yes. bit more endangered. But as you said in the book, it's very easy to grow yeah. and it has really wonderful uses. And you also said in the book that what, like 90% or like Matthew Wood said, like 90% of the, the, its uses aren't actually used. Like 90% uh, of the times it's used, it's not being used correctly. So it's like, Correct. So what do you really, what do you use it for? What's, what, what, what should people know about golden seal? <laughs> right. Um, I, that's Paul Bergner. Um, but thank you so much for digging deep into the book. And um, so Paul had written that um, and that was years ago. I mean, that was even before the even greater popularity. So for me, I, I love Golden Seal and I, I put it in because I'm downtown Charlottesville and it's taking over our gardens. It does not need north facing rich hummus, ancient woods. I, I grow ginseng too, but that's, it's not taking over. Right. Um, so I put it in there so people will grow it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just put it in a shady spot and it's going to tell you if it's not happy, move it to another shady spot. If your uncle has a shady spot um, it, and it, and it's spread by rhizomes. Yeah. Cool. I think that's awesome that you're yeah encouraging people to, to grow it. Right. So how I use it is primarily as a mucous membrane tonic and that it clears heat. And what, uh, and I learned this from Paul Bergner, I don't know, 20 years ago. And if anybody, if your listeners are, are clinicians, his medical herbalist newsletters, I mean, he's been doing them forever. And I think they're archived now. Incredible clinical journals. And, you know, what happens is when you get a cold or a flu, you want your immune system to respond with histamine and water. And, you know, that's all your nutricils and that that's flushing. 
you know, that's a very healthy flushing of the antigen. And then if it, if your body can take care of itself and it's getting a little too wet or maybe it's turning green, that's when you'd want to bring in the golden seal. And so what happened was they immediately, uh, the herb company, kind of the nutraceutical industry, they just blindly threw echinacea and golden seal together and called it cold flu. This is your immune tonic. And right. You know, both of those are really cold herbs. Echinacea is a fat. I mean, we treat a lot of snake bites around here in Virginia and it clears toxic heat. So, and golden seal, there's, there's nothing colder than a berberine, right? I mean, mm. deep, hot infections. That's, that's an indicator. So if you have a cold and you take these two cold medicines, um it may work so on some level but that's the beauty of energetics it's you know if you are going to take them then add ginger because uh, it's just going to make you colder so i used to work with a lot of midwives and so what we would do is take golden seal powder and sprinkle it on the umbilical cord um, to prevent infection and golden seal because it's such a mucous membrane tonic um it'll dry up um, it has an incredibly drying effect, which is why if you use it too soon with sinuses, then you're going to have this rebound congestion mm -hmm. because your body wants to do that. And so um, I did a lot of work in Belize and Costa Rica and uh, tropical areas. And I'd always have golden seal because why infections are, are so prevalent is, you know, the, the jungle is all about life, right? I mean, things grow, you go to sleep at night and you wake up the next day and, you know, something just grew a foot. So it, it's a whole ecosystem that proliferates life. Hot and, and damp. So, yeah. Pardon me? Very hot and damp. Hot and damp. And um, exotic, erotic, and, you know, such energy there. So when you do work and you're out in the bush, you get cuts and you get wounds. And so I'd always have golden seal powder to put right on so that it wouldn't bloom into anything more serious. Um, so it's great for topical cuts and abrasions. And so now I, I work drop doses and, you know, you can do a lot um, with five drops of golden seal tincture, you know, or blending that. Um, so now we grow our own and we harvest our own. And that's really what I'm trying to promote um, that that happens. And what's interesting is even at the turn of the century, the eclectics, it was endangered. Like we've been here before. Uh -huh. And so they were looking to yellow root. They were looking to coptis. And the, the whole history of all of that is so fascinating and we are repeating those patterns, but we can grow them. Cool. And do you say, would you say that um, other berberine containing species like Oregon grape root, which is pretty abundant and uh, Japanese barberry root are very, are similar in effect? Sure. They're drying, they're antimicrobial. We're seeing now that they're just giving berberine capsules for diabetes. You know, mm. diabetes is cold and damp, right? Mm. Sugar creates cold. Mm. And it dampens. And, you know, so how do we work with the energetics of these situations? Um, I love Oregon grapefruit. I could not work with Giardia 
you know, I get a lot of folks after a rainbow gathering or coming <laughs> home from India and they've done flagell, they've done everything and they arrive. They're not Vata, but they're looking very Vata. Yeah. And um, Oregon grape root, man, I, I, you know, more than golden seal. Uh-huh. So it's sort of like, you know, the three of us are herbalists and, you know, we could say, oh, that's an analog. It's an herbalist, but we're also different. Yeah. You know, we're, there's, there's no each of you and I'm different. So that being said, in this uh, time of loss of habitat, because it's not, it, it is over harvesting, but it's dramatic loss of habitat. Yeah even though it, golden seal may, may be the one that's called for ginseng, you know, how do we work with other plants? And um, so, yes, I do love the berberines. I love um, barberry um, and yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, they, they definitely are antimicrobial. They're all there for the actions of what we love golden seal for. And mm-hmm. the one thing also I'll say with golden seal is there's nothing I know that works with a peptic ulcer um, faster and more direct. And that was from the eclectics Uh and it's a mucous membrane tonic. Uh Look, now we know ulcers are from Heliobacter. It's a bacteria. Uh So it's an infection, but it's inflammation of a mucous membrane and golden seal, again, very low doses can really help turn around that situation. Then you can go back and rebuild. Nice. So yeah, we've got some listener questions. Oh, good, good, good. The uh, the second one first, maybe? Um, Yeah, so we want to go back to talk about the tissue states and the uh, doshas. So do you want to read the second one? Yeah, so um, she's curious about the parallels or perceived contradictions between doshas and disharmonies. Disharmonies. (laughs) For example, if someone is a predominantly pitta type yet struggles with a yang deficiency. So that's a lot of language. Um, Let's see. Uh, Is there an example? So, So yeah. So it's really very pitta, but they have, they're having some yang problems. So they're tired. Yeah, I, I guess I guess so. Yeah, they're of low vital energy. Right. So a pitta with low fire. I mean, for me, yang is rising, masculine, fiery, daytime. So um, a tired pitta, maybe she can type in if she has. Yeah, um, I, I don't want to demean it all because it's a great question and it's very prevalent. Yeah, so um, the question is, um, so if you have a bunch of cold symptoms as a pitta, um, but you're, you know, how would you treat that? I guess. Right. So it depends on where the cold is. Mm-hmm. Is it cold hands and feet? Is it cold digestion? Mm-hmm. Um, is is it cold energy? Mm-hmm. Is there a deficiency as far as mobilization? Is there depression? Mm. Oftentimes, so, so it's, again, it's organ. You want to go in and you want to figure out, well, where is it? Yeah. Um, is it tension? And this is where clinicians are really valuable or a deeper study in the tissue states, because this is sort of where you tease out 
Um, and, and I go into that in the book, and I'm not trying to sell the book, but because it is complicated, no. um, but sometimes tension will block the energy. Okay. And pitas tend to have more tension, more, you know, they doers and transforming and getting things done. And that tension can block the flow. And uh-huh. so sometimes I'll say, well, look, when you do, when you're sort of confused, give bitters mm. and walk away for two weeks and okay. <laughs> see what happens yeah. because it's digestion, it's liver. Now, the thing about bitters is they're mostly cooling. Mm. So if this pitta person is kind of challenged by feeling cold, then warm it up, add a little ginger to the bitter. Mm-hmm. So you can relax, get digestion going um, and, and get into the flow because the liver governs flow. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so when there's this lack of flow, which cold in a pitta would be, mm-hmm. is there congestion? Is there stagnation? Um, how do you open that and how do you get the heat to where it needs to be? And then of course you go back to diet and broths and teas. Um, but oftentimes it's a, it's a stagnation. Yeah. So that's very helpful. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So the first question though, is to, to basically get into the tissue states. Cause we didn't really, we, brushed no, we didn't go there. No, yeah. uh-uh. you want to tell us our listeners about the six tissue states and how they relate to treating what you see. Sure. So my beloved uh, buddy and teacher, Matthew Wood is the first, I don't know, 25, 27 years ago, um, brought me into the world of the tissue states and, it seems so confusing. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I can't do that yet. Um, and then the more I studied and the more I sat with them, I just thought these are so elegant. And so the tissue states are born out of a Greek humoral system. And the uh, Greeks essentially had um, hot, cold, damp, and dry. And they worked with those conditions. And then these other physicians at that time, they're called the Methodist physicians, they brought in two more states of tense and relaxed. And so this is mostly based off of the uh, physiomedicalist writing um, and of um, Thurston. And so there's hot and cold, it's temperature, damp and dry, it's moisture, and then tense and relaxed, which is um, tone. And I love how Kiva Rose uh, describes these, um, the tissue states. She also works a lot energetically with the tissue states. And so it's, you know, water, um, temperature and tone. And so there, it's a continuum. So let's just take hot and cold. You know, you're hot when you have a fever um, and then that changes. And so rarely, you know, it's a continuum. Rarely are you at the freezing or the super hot. You're in the middle. And that's really where you want to be. And that's sort of the tendencies. You know, you tend towards more hot. You tend towards more cold. So me, you know, tending more towards the heat 
you know, I have go to cola, I have hibiscus, even in this winter time. You know, if we make our tea seasonally, that's really helpful, but we also have to think what's my nature and how do I cool that down and maybe just a little bit. So the temperature is not the temperature we take with a thermometer, it's the excitation. You know, it's all of these tissue states basically were based on the nervous system. And, but that's a pretty archaic language that was happening at the turn of the century. And so uh, Matthew has brought it forward to make it more pertinent to our vernacular. And then Jim McDonald has also brought it forward. And, you know, he, he's brought great articulation to these tissue states. So for me, it's a way of treating what you see. You can see if something's damp, you shake your client's hand or you, when you're taking a pulse, you feel the skin. You know, this is how you're subtly assessing, you know, is it damp? Is it dry? You know, most people will tell you, you know, yeah, my skin's damp, but I'm constipated. You know, the, you know, it's these classic conundrums of, you know, here's damp, but constipation's dry. And how do you work with that? Um, so you're looking at hot, cold, that's excitation. So primarily heat would be autoimmune disease. Something is hyper, you know, hyper excitation. Allergies are looked at as heat. So how do you cool that? How do you sedate that? That's why, you know, fish oils and oils, good oils, they're, they're lubricating, you know, yes, it's EFAs and yes, it's all these other things. But I love when you look at the energetics of food, um, like, yeah, that's um, so pro I'm sorry, go ahead. That's just, I'm just, that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. What you're eating, I mean, food is medicine, but it also affects all of your internal terrain. Mm. Right. And so when, when we learn the energetics of food, like all the berries, all the proanthocyanidins, all the antioxidants are essentially cooling and sour, right? And so there's a flavor, there's a color, um, but there's an energetic to them. And inflammation is heat. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, inflammatory diseases are just at the forefront because we're, who, you know, even pre-COVID, there was so much excitation from social media to all of it. So, you know, this is why in some ways we really need to be quenching our bodies with these um, antioxidants and these nutrients that just really satiate our body's request um, for oxygen. You know, antioxidants, it's about oxidative stress and that's just rusting. You know, essentially we're rusting on hyperdrive because, you know, we're just burning, burning through it. So that was a bit of a trend <laughs> digression there. Um, so you have hot, cold, damp, dry. Um, and that damp is, you know, you want to, you really want to move on damp very quickly because that sets up a boggy terrain. And, you know, we know that infection takes place in, you know, damp, stagnant situations. Um, I, I treat depression. So many times I work with depression 
in a damp state or a stagnant state. Huh. Um, it's not really serotonin. It's not really the neurotransmitters. The fire's gone out. Oh. How, you know, look at hypothyroid. Mm-hmm. You know, that fire has gone out. And, you know, there's a dampness, there's a stagnation there. Mm-hmm. And yes, you know, we always look at medical tests and clinical tests, and you look at all of them, the, that medicine bag, you know, we have a lot of great tools um, to look at that. And then the last state, um, tense and relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim has brought in the word lax. Um, and we're all grateful because relaxation is a state we're all trying to attain. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the tone of the tissue and, you know, a guitar string needs the right tone. So our organs and our tissues need the right amount of tension. Mm. And so having a good taut, we're in shape, you know, we've got the right tone, but when it's too taut, uh, whether psychologically, um, stress, you know, that's the tissue state of tension. Mm -hmm. And then if it's not enough tone, uh, that's relaxation. And that means that the tissue does not have the integrity to hold on to fluids or whether that's prolapse or bladder incontinence or, um, you know, lots of different things. Um, Boundaries, you know, I I look at a lot of boundary work as relaxed tissue states, not able to hold on to that sense of self, you know, to to bring their selves in and kind of come back with that tone. There's this constant kind of leaking of self. That's why, you know, I love Shizandra. I love, you know, the Chinese call that, um, uh, what do they call it? Um, securing leaky chi or something like that. I'm like, yeah, dig that. I, you know, I, a lot of times, you know, leaky chi and I travel with a dear friend and herbalist when we go on retreats and she brings Shizandra traveling. Cause you know how sometimes you're moving and you leave things and you know, how do you, how do you stay together? How do you stay tight? So I love these plants. Not only is it for, when we're ill or we want to feel better, but now we want to perform better perform. That's a weird word, but you know what I mean? Like these plants are such teachers of our patterns and we can talk a whole thing on patterns because I I think patterns is just a huge piece of all of this. Yeah. Um, But was that, you know, I could go on and on about all the different tissue states, but does that help? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Gives us a great picture of it. And I like how you brought in the energetic side of like depression and boundaries to it as well, because that's not something that really comes to my mind when I think about tissue states, I think of actual tissue in the body, but you're so right that herbs have a profound effect on our emotional state as well. And it can be the tissue states of our body reflect our emotional state. Exactly, exactly. And I've had clients who have come back to me. And for example, this one woman said, you know, I cannot tell you how fabulous it was that this prickly ash really made a dramatic difference in my depression. Wow. You know, and I, you know, that's not on the list. But (laughs) once I started working energetically, Uh you know, I understood, you know, that's, that is depression. That that's tissue state depression. That's cold. Yeah. Um, essentially, cold 
um, tissue state is depressed tissue state. Mm -hmm. And how do we enliven that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's so important. And also, you know, the mind affects the body too. Like if you're very anxious and stressed out, it you get tension headaches, mm. you get tense in the body. Mm -hmm. And yeah, totally. so it's all interdependent. <laughs> it sure is. And these plants, I mean, they're, they're just kaleidoscopic. I use that word in the book, but I really mean that it's, it's a kaleidoscopic presence that they have that um, really understanding how far they can go um, and what are their patterns and then how do they affect our patterns and mm -hmm. I think a lot of that's flower essence and homeopathy but we can do the same thing with our tinctures mm -hmm. I mean I, I don't work with I work with the definition of energetics of flowers but I think when you harvest and make tinctures and make teas I think that energy, that vibration is really part of that. Mm, yeah. so you don't have to send somebody home with four different bottles or teas or, you know, make it complicated. You know, hypericum drop dose tincture is just profound. Mm. It's profound. Hypericum being St. John's wort. Um, so uh, one thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about too, and ask you about is, um, is the chi vital energy because I think that's an important part of the whole energetic, yeah, looking at things. Sure. Not in Western culture, we kind of have lost that, but it keeps popping up. You know, like organ or odic force or life force or whatever. You know, we we keep finding new new ways of saying it, <laughs> even though right, right, <laughs> um, right. We yeah, gotta so sell it, right? We gotta package it. We gotta sell it. <laughs> Also, the new. dominant materialist paradigm keeps suppressing. It's like, no, there is no, nothing that cannot, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Mm, right. Measure it, well, it doesn't exist. Yeah, and we all know. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why I love tissue states and vitalism because it's vitality. Mm -hmm. And I can say to my, you know, if I said, oh, wow, your cheese looking good today, you know, again, it's this distancing. And, and if I say, boy, you look more vital, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. And they relate to, to yeah. vitality. Yeah. And it's such a ubiquitous word in our culture. And so, you know, vitalism, if you go to Wikipedia, it's, you know, a pseudoscience and, oh. you know, yeah, it, it's really interesting reading mainstream takes on vitalism. Mm. Um, so, but vitalism, vitality is that life force. And so it is chi, it is prana. Um, it, there's qualities to vitalism, to vital energy. Um, and there's, um, kind of laws that govern. I mean, there's directions of vital energy. Uh, it warms, it activates. Now prana may be used, you know, slightly different than chi. You know, you have shen in Chinese medicine, which is spirit. You have chi, which is an energy. Then you have blood, which is has more meaning than our physical blood. Um, you have orenda in Iroquois. You have ashe in, you know, you have these different names. 
Um, but it's that spark of life. Yeah. It's that life force. And so it's, you know, trying to keep that vibrant um, and following the energy. And so that's why when we're understanding our nature and how do we keep the energy flowing, where is it not getting to? Where is it not going? Where is it going too much? Mm. You know, how do we calibrate too much energy? How do we help that Vata who is incredibly anxious and wants to get down to her art or his music? Or, you know, it's like the the, the poets and the artists, so many, you know, just how do we help them, you know, embody themselves? And, you know, how do we take that vital energy and calm it and ground it? And so you look to where the energy is. Mm -hmm. And Stephen Buhner came and taught um, depth diagnostics. And you would have somebody, the student stand in front of the class and you look at the body. It's not a fun exercise at all, but you're like, where's the energy? Okay. Dang, it works. Okay. Mm. Like, you know, try it, play around with it. And, and everybody, you know, we weren't um, psychics or, you know, you can see where the energy lies in this person's body. Now it could be in the stomach because you're, you're feeling overweight, you're in front of a group and you're trying to pull your energy in, but that indicates that person's relationship or their pain, or there's so many, many levels of working energetically. Um, that I don't know if I'm getting too far off the topic, but you know, it, it's the funny thing. They say, follow the money. Well, in healing is follow the energy. Uh -huh. um, and that is really what you're going to see. You know, it, again, you're treating what you see. I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, looking at, for instance, <laughs> plants, when you you're harvesting plants, mm. see where the energy is in the oh, plant, yeah. it's in exactly. the, the flower, the seed, the root. It's the same thing with humans. <laughs> yeah, to absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of like the, the doshas too, like throughout like a life cycle, you know, starting uh, kapha and then pitta and then uh, vata, you know, that's kind of similar kind of life cycle to life cycle mm. of a plant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, I where was I? I was just hiking in some gorgeous place um, and... <laughs> And I, it, you, I love um, nature and winter. Mm. Uh, it's so skeletal. Yeah. It's the seeds. It's the, it's sort of that vata. You can see it. You know how vata people, you, they're all over the place, but they're kind of transparent. You know, they're not like that kapha that's kind of sitting back and checking it out. And, um, <laughs> but I, I love nature and winter because you see the trees, you see the branches, you see um, the structure in this plant that isn't um, bedecked in its foliage or its flowers, or um, it's, it's just so elegant yeah. all the seasons. And, you know, we, we've really been teaching people don't, don't cut your, your gardens back. Um, because all those seed heads are just so vital. Blue vervain is such a mecca 
uh, for so many insects and birds. And we have a lot of blue vervain around here because <laughs> doctrine of signatures. And we really like that plant. Um, so we have a good amount of that growing around here. Um, Amazing how that works. You just show up at a place and your your plant allies just also are like, we're here. We've just been waiting for you to come and now we're going to bloom. <laughs> it is so profound. Yeah. It is. It's, you know, it could bring tears to my eyes, just Absolutely. understanding how profound and real that is. And we call it magic. Mm-hmm. And the plant king queendom calls that collaboration. Nice. Yeah. You know, it's this intelligence that before we arrive and how does that happen? And we have to keep some things in the mystery realm. I don't <laughs> want to know. I, I don't want a quantum physicist to come in and tell me how that happens. Maybe sometime, but yeah. Uh, it's profound. It's interesting because everywhere I've gone, Lobelia shows up. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I adore Lobelia. Yeah. You know, I, I, I worked when I lived in a county north of here. Um, we were near a Superfund EPA site um, that was absolutely horrific. And, you know, a mile of the Shenandoah River was destroyed. It's mm. been closed and it's coming back. But the asthma in that town was just off the charts. And so there's no way I ever could have dealt with the degree of asthma without that plant. Absolutely. Um, and it's a, such a plan of power. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about a vision plant and you know how entheogens, um, they're kind of acrid, they kind of promote emesis and for people that, that don't know that word kind of nauseous or vomiting or, you know, that's what I, I feel like Lobelia is our native entheogen in that way. It's such a vision plant. drop doses and no one, I mean, again, Paul Bergner has done a a fabulous uh, whole article, whole newsletter on Lobelia. You know, nobody's ever died of Lobelia because you're going to get rid of it. (laughs) Right. Take too much Lobelia. It's out of you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. She's out of you. Yes. So there's a tremendous amount of fear around this plant. But for me, I it might be because it's such a plant of vision. Uh-huh. And it's a plant of power. Mm. And that can be a little uncomfortable. Pardon me? And that can be a little uncomfortable for people, you know? It's it's hard. It's hard to step into your medicine person self, whether you're an herbalist or not. Yeah. You know, it's really hard to step into that full place of who you are. And what's so beautiful about Lobelia, it's a relaxant and it's visionary um, and it's stunning. It's, it's not nearly as showy as it's, you know, other family members, cardinal flower and a big, large, uh, Lobelia, Lobelia syphilitica or Lobelia cardinalis. They're gorgeous and showy and Lobelia inflata, um, isn't it's a little more inconspicuous and uh, and when I come upon it it's just um, such a delight but I, to your I use it topically a lot um, for relaxation putting it in uh, muscle rubs oh uh, yeah that's yeah, it's a really good topical 
um, application. And you don't wanna, I mean, I've never ever had anybody get sick. I've been using it for 25 years. Low yeah. doses will be the trick. Cool. So we're almost out of time here. Uh, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show. And your book is really great. I recommend it to everybody. Um, or do you have uh, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Exciting things coming up. Mm, thank you. You know, I think one of my favorite chapters is the third chapter, Medicine of Place. Mm. And I feel that part of our challenge right now is that feeling of disconnection mm. and it's brilliant that you can grow up in Michigan and end up living in the Pacific Northwest and yet there is a sense of dislocation possibly and so when we're looking at medicines or when we're looking at our sense of self we can relate we can in some ways have a deep relationship with where we are and harvesting medicines. I feel really deeply about that. And so many listeners might be aware of Robin Wall Kimmerer and how we ask before we harvest. And for me, that asking permission isn't just about, is there enough species? It's, is this piece of land using, working with this plant um, as medicine? And I was taught that by the land here in Virginia because we have so many Civil War um, monuments and battlegrounds and, and observing as plant people. I just think our role is to really observe the plant changes. I mean, we're watching plants migrate north. Mm -hmm. You know, climate change is, you know, plants are moving north, plants are moving south. There's a migration happening. And so, yes, there's alarm. And then there's also, let's show up and let's note these things for our, our brethren to the South or North, but also these plants are showing up where certain traumas have occurred. And so we're, we're, a lot of times we're anthropocentric that you know this hypericum or yarrow is a wound healer for us. And we don't want to anthropomorphize these plants or the land, but, you know, just holding that possibility. What if, you know, what if, you know, this stand of beach or, you know, whatever that is, um, is really coming into that. And I think chaga is a really, really important plant that we uh, back off our use because it's very integral to the birch forest. And birch forests are, you know, they, they need cool weather, right? And so if climates are changing, yeah, we, it might be 30 years, but let's think about what we're harvesting. And, you know, chaga needs the birch. And so that medicine of place of kind of having that long vision um, and really looking at that. Yeah. yeah. So glad you brought that up. We had some questions about that too. So I'm so glad we had time for you talking about the importance of place and of honoring the plants and thinking about, you know, more than just if you need it for medicine, if the land needs it for medicine. And yeah, you know, I was with um, my teacher and uh, it was Karen and we were studying and we were at Mount Shasta and it was this deep, deep, profound teaching. And 
I'm in this high holy moment <laughs> and I'm like feeling like I'm about to be lifted off. And so <laughs> I, I just wanted something from that moment. And I reached down and I, I picked up a rock and, um, uh, you know, and, and Karen is just, you know, compassion. Like she, she's not, she's profound. She's an amazing teacher and medicine person, but she almost barked. Did I, did I ask permission? Did I, you know, ask that rock? And it wasn't even like a gem or a crystal. And what, what made me think about that was, okay, here I am. I put it in my pocket. It could have been there for thousands of years, creating whatever element is in that woods. And I get on a plane, I take it and I put it on my altar in Virginia. You know, so it just really brought home to me uh, the profound impact and influence. And, you know, I'm not super dogmatic about certain things, but that was one of the most profound teachings medicine of place, what do we leave? You know, what, what has been called in over millennia that we're not even aware of that keeps that place with the pulse, with the vibration, you know, with its medicine intact. Um, so yeah. I just wanted, I didn't put, I don't think I put that story in the book. Yeah, uh, but that's a great story. Thanks for sharing it with us. And um, just to wrap up, how can folks find you and purchase your book and learn about your classes and things? Sure thing. Uh, Sacredplanttraditions.com is our school. And there's a a place where you can buy the book on the website there. Um, There's a website for the book, Cat Meyer Herbalism, but it's just really all the great things my friends have said about the book. So (laughs) you just go to the school website, you just want to buy the book or support your independent bookstores or what I'm telling folks is, you know, call your library and then people that don't have internet or can't buy the book, you know, they can go in and have access. Um, to the book there and I'm definitely going to have to send another copy to you too for one gratitude for this and everything you do for the community and that you each have your own copy (laughs) (laughs) well thank you and it was so awesome talking to you I learned a lot and I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show so thanks so much thank you Thank you both very much. And all the uh, folks that were here. Yeah, thanks to all our patrons who came out and asked questions. 